Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 28, the first 10 verses. Let's take God's word, open to Matthew 28, the verses 1 through 10. We hear God's word revealed to us in this way. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And the proclamation of the word this morning will focus on the last three verses, the verses 8, 9, and 10. In response to the preaching of God's word, let's sing from hymn 68, the stanzas 1, 6, and 8. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, on that morning when our Savior arose, and truly this is no surprise, is it extraordinary things happened. In the first place, there was an earthquake, and no small earthquake either. This was not a minor earthquake. This would have registered quite strongly on the Richter scale, as we say today. For Scripture says, verse 2, Behold, there was a great earthquake. And in fact, it was the second earthquake in three days, because there was also an earthquake when our Savior died. Think about that. 
two earthquakes in three days' time. Secondly, for these women who had come to the tomb, there was the appearance of an angel. Goes without saying, that doesn't happen every day. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And so brilliant, so glorious was his appearance that guards, seasoned, hardened, experienced soldiers, brave men, were so shocked, were so afraid that, to state it plainly, it knocked them out. They were like dead men. Well, you don't see that happening to a group of seasoned guards either. And then, and this is what is more amazing, more extraordinary than any of the other things that I've listed, and that is that as these women are on their way to do what the angel told them to do, to go and to speak to the disciples and give them instructions. There it is again, verse 9. Behold, Jesus was there. He was on the cross. Then he was put into the tomb. But suddenly, as they are going down the path, going down the road, there he stands. Jesus met them. There is miracle in those three words. And he says to them, yes, what does he say? On the one hand, brothers and sisters, the greeting that he gives is so ordinary. And yet, at the very same time, it is so extraordinary. Because Every language has its own greeting word. Perhaps you know that in the land of Israel, among the Jews, there is the greeting shalom. And Jewish people will say this to each other all the time as they meet each other, as they begin a day, shalom, shalom, shalom. It almost loses its meaning. But it actually has a very rich meaning. Peace, peace to you, shalom. But this word that Jesus speaks is a Greek word. And on the one hand, it simply meant greeting, chairata. People said it to each other all of the time, chairata, chairata, hello, greetings. But that word means, as you see also, rejoice. And so Jesus, the risen Lord, not only greets these women, but he also gives them an instruction. He gives them reason for joy, but he also gives them the command to rejoice. It's all wrapped up in one. And this morning we see that this greeting of our Lord and Savior was not only so significant for the women who had come to the tomb, but for all of us as well. Because as the Apostle Paul later explained, 
through baptism. We are assured, brothers and sisters, that we are united not only to our Savior in his death, but also, Romans 6, verse 4, we are united to him in his resurrection to live a new life. And that new life is to be characterized by genuine Christ-centered rejoicing. And so I bring you God's word this morning. Our risen Savior says, yes, even commands, rejoice. And we will see that this joy is also in the circumstances of fear, joy and fear. It's also there for worship, joy and worship. And finally, it applies to joy and our daily work. These women who come to the tomb of Jesus early, very early on Easter Sunday, the first day of the week, who are they? Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, and in fact, we know from other parts in the Gospels that there was a whole group of women. Some of the other names were Joanna, Susanna. And these women, what stands out about them, brothers and sisters, is just how incredibly loyal they were. As we read in the Gospel of Luke, throughout Jesus' ministry, preaching and teaching, they were there to make sure that the practical details of life were also taken care of. For Jesus, for his disciples, for food, for clothing, for other practical things, they made sure that it was taken care of. But now that it came to these days, look with me in Scripture how often these women are mentioned. Verse 56, and many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, taking care of those needs, were there looking from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When Jesus was crucified, when Jesus breathed his last, they were there. And then the body. What would happen to the body? Joseph of Arimathea has a plan and look at verse 61. And Mary Magdalene was again there. And the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. Chapter 27 verse 61. And now, now on the day of the resurrection, very early in the morning, they are the ones who are there to give their Lord a proper burial. At least, so they thought that was their task for the morning. And it is to these women that first the angel comes. And the angel tells these loyal followers and self-sacrificing ministers, servants unto the Lord and his disciples. They are the ones who are told, he is not here. He's risen. He's alive. And what joy. It brings. This is a messenger from heaven. This is an angel of the Lord. 
Yes. He's alive. Their Lord. Their Rabboni. And yet, as filled with joy as they are, verse 8, so there is fear as well. It's not to take away from the greatness of the joy, but it is to very realistically also acknowledge the lingering fear that was, is still there. Do you notice that the Holy Spirit mentions fear first? The joy is great, but the fear is first. What were they afraid of? Well, brothers and sisters, it really doesn't take too much to put it together. Think of what they had experienced in the last number of days, the weeks leading up to it, and indeed in this, in this building up kind of way through the past number of months. They had seen things that were deeply disturbing. Yes, it does not go too far to say traumatic. For they saw, they experienced, as they took care of those practical needs as well, as they were in the circle of Jesus and his disciples, they saw how the leaders of God's covenant people were growing in their anger, growing in their jealousy, growing in their cold-hearted opposition and desire to kill their beloved Lord. You see, brothers and sisters, it would have been one thing if it was simply the Romans. And of course, they are involved in the end. Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers with the crucifixion. But the whole thing was led by the leaders, the chief priests, the scribes of God's covenant people. And can you understand a little bit of how deeply that impacted these women? They too were to look up. They were to respect the leaders of God's people just like we all are. And these Men were out to kill the Messiah? This is deeply disturbing. And then, as the plans, the evil plans of the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests come to fruition and actually start to happen, these women are the ones who are also there seeing their Lord and Savior being nailed physically to a cross, hearing him speak from that cross, seeing him breathe his last. They are the ones who are there when Joseph of Arimathea is quickly trying to come to some temporary honor for the body. All of these things, so deeply disturbing. Trauma causes fear that's hard to shake. There's also fear of people involved. 
Because things are changing, things are shifting. There is within God's covenant people a division growing. The Lord Jesus Christ himself spoke about this. We don't have to speculate. The Lord Jesus Christ said that his appearance in his ministry would put father against son and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. There were divisions among God's covenant people also within families over those who would trust in the Lord and those who would not. What would that mean for these women, for their families, for their extended families, for their friends? This is reality, brothers and sisters. As the gospel is going forth, divisions will happen. And these women are beginning to see it. Fear of people and what they would think, what they would say. And also, fear of the unknown. You know there are times in life when, of course, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen a week from now. But you can kind of see how things are lining up. You can kind of see how the Lord's providence is shaping up things. Of course, we know it's the Lord's will alone. But we don't know the details, but we see where things are going. But this is not one of those times. Where is this all going? What's going to happen? Jesus is risen from the dead, but what now? Past fears from trauma that comes into the present, fear of people, fear of the unknown. It is no wonder that they went quickly from the tomb with fear as much as the great joy that he is risen. And it is at precisely this moment, not a little bit earlier, and certainly not any later, but as their feet are swiftly running down the path, their hearts beating one beat with joy, the other beat with fear. Another beat of joy, another beat of fear. It is precisely at that moment that the risen Lord appears and says, Rejoice! Rejoice! Because it is His living presence that not only will give to these women what they need, but Romans 6, verse 4, we who are now, through the working of the Holy Spirit, united to the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we will also receive what we need. For these women had a particular fear mixed with a particular joy. But we all have fears, and we all have this joy of the resurrection. But it's the one who speaks. They already knew that Jesus Christ was risen. But now it is the Savior himself who speaks. And this, brothers and sisters, when you, when I, when we face our fears, whatever the background of that fear is, and sometimes it may have a very long background to it, and whoever is generating the fears in our life, for who here does not suffer from fear of people? 
If anyone says that they have no fear of people, they're probably not telling the truth. And who here does not have moments in their life where the unknown, the future, causes some unsettledness of the soul? But now, Sunday by Sunday, you come here, brothers and sisters, and it is, please note, the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, who gives you at the beginning of the worship service as well that greeting, grace, and peace to you. And with that greeting also comes the command, focusing on me, even through the reality of your fears, which we do not just set off to the side lightly. But I, your risen Lord, give you the reason and also give you the instruction. Rejoice. Rejoice by knowing that I am glorious and victorious over all. I, your risen Lord, and Savior. And that ought to bring us to the point of worship. As these women, when they are greeted by their risen Savior, this is their immediate reaction. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. They they got down. They were running. They got down physically upon the ground. They held his feet and they worshipped him. Humble, devotion, thanksgiving. They worshipped him. You see that, brothers and sisters? He is the focus. And that is the focus that we need to maintain and keep in our worship. And if we're honest, that's the focus that can easily slip. Sometimes, after a worship service, we walk away and either we speak to someone or we just think within our own minds, but we walk away and we say, yeah, it was good to be in worship Sunday again, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know what, what it was this Sunday, but it didn't do too much for me. Sometimes we think that, sometimes we even say that. And then, and then we, we try to analyze that. What was happening there? Maybe it, was, maybe it was the way the sermon came across and maybe it wasn't entirely clear or perhaps the, the servant of the Lord, the minister, was very tired or something about the sermon or maybe it was, was, was the singing or maybe it was just me, the way I came to church. We have all of these different things coming in. But brothers and sisters, as special, as unique, as unrepeating, 
as this event is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's once in a redemptive history. It will not happen again. And so there is something very unique about the reaction of these women falling down right into the dirt of the path, grabbing the feet of the Lord Jesus. But one thing has not changed. When we gather for worship, this is not in the first place about a man standing here in this pulpit, whichever man, whichever servant of the Lord it may be. It's not in the first place about the accompaniment to the singing or how enthusiastic the singing is or how subdued it is. All these things, they're all part of the worship service. Please don't misunderstand. They're important parts. But they are not primary. We have come here in the first place to appear before the living God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We come here to humble ourselves before Him who is risen from the dead. And when we focus on Him, please, worshipped Him, then yes, whether the servant of the Lord is a little bit more organized about his sermon or not so organized, or whether he's a little bit more energetic or a little bit less, and whether the singing is full and reverberates the walls, or in that Sunday it's a little bit more subdued. But we have come before the risen Christ. This is what worship is all about. And it is what we are called to give to him our devotion, our loyalty, our trust, and our praise and thanksgiving. Too often we have it the other way around. We wonder what we get out of the worship when just as these women show, worship is fundamentally in the first place what we are giving to the Lord. And when we come with that attitude, we will also leave having received very much. And then, then it's time again to go back to our regular tasks. These women held, they, 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 they physically clung to the feet of their risen Lord and Savior. But Jesus, you notice, does not allow that to last for very long. It's back to the task. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren. We'll come back this afternoon to my brethren. But go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is exactly what the angel had told them to do. There's really no difference the angel had given them a task. And now, their risen Lord is there on the road with them. And you could well imagine that they just want to push 
Pause. Be there with him. Ask him questions. Speak to him. Hear more from him about this miraculous redemptive work of the resurrection. But Jesus says, there is a task. What the angel has told you, now, do not be afraid. Go forward, enjoy, and do what you are called to do. It is, in and of itself, a rather straightforward task. They have a message, an enormous message. They have yet a message to bring to a group of men, the disciples. And once they have passed on that message, he has risen. Then that task is done. But they are to do it not just because an angel told them, but now because their Lord has also commanded them. You see, here is the big step forward. Now, after years of doing this and that, and some of the things that they did for the Lord Jesus and his disciples, very simple, very straightforward. We might even say in a certain way, mundane, regular. But they did it for him. But now, brothers and sisters, they are to continue. He has risen. They have a message to bring. They don't know that yet. But he will ascend and he will leave and he will go to heaven. But their task in life remains serving the Lord Jesus Christ, as does yours and as does mine. The Lord gives us all kinds of different things to do. Whether you are here as mother or mechanic, whether you are here this morning as student or salesman, whether you are here as father or farmer or some of all of the above. Tomorrow morning, it's the beginning of back to the regular. Tuesday, we'll certainly be back to the regular. And everyone's work has its dreary parts, has its difficult parts. Everyone's work has its, its mundane. Everyone's work has its frustrating. But who are you going to work for? Children? You're just working all those worksheets, all those math facts and everything just for your teacher, just for your parents? Students, whether you're on into high school or perhaps college, university, young people, married people, who are you going to work for? The risen Christ. This is the one who ultimately is our Lord, our 
master. And when we go about our daily task, even if it's the smallest, most regular thing, or the big, significant, life-impacting things, it's all under Him. And when you go to work for Him, then you may go rejoicing through your tasks. Amen.